This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you clearly. All right. I'll just introduce you then, and uh, we'll, we'll start right into it. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and today we're going to continue our series on the doctrines of grace, or what are sometimes known as the five points of Calvinism, or known by the acronym TULIP. And And today we're talking with uh, Dr. Joel Beakey. Dr. Beakey is president and professor of systematic theology at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, pastor of Heritage Netherlands Reformed Congregation, and he's the author of numerous books and articles. I'm sure many of our listeners are very familiar with Dr. Beakey's work. And he spoke with us a few uh, weeks ago. We broadcast a few weeks ago on total depravity. And he is now going to speak with us on the I in Tulip, Irresistible Grace. So, Dr. Beakey, thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you again, Jonathan. Now, I want to begin by... Uh, touching on something that you mentioned in our last discussion on total depravity. At the very end, you, you talked about the, the connection, the inseparable connection between total depravity and irresistible grace. So why don't we just pick up there where we left off? What's the connection between total depravity and irresistible grace? Why do they need to be seen and understood together as biblical doctrines? Yes, well, this was the approach used by a group of uh, theologians in the 17th century Netherlands called the um, Synod of Dort. They produced the Canons of Dort, in which these five points you mentioned in Tulip were addressed. And they purposely brought total depravity and irresistible grace together in a point that they called three slash four, because they said you can never separate these two for this reason. The Arminians are looking at them as Reformed people in their theology, and they're saying, oh, how depressing both of these doctrines are. Total depravity is depressing because you make man look so bad, as if man can do nothing good. And irresistible grace is depressing because it's like God is forcing people to come to grace. And the Dutch divines, well, actually international group of divines through all of Europe at that point said, no, 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 you've got that exactly wrong. We're being realistic about man's depravity, but we never talk about man's depravity without talking about God's irresistible grace as well, because we're patterning, patterning ourselves here after the book of Romans, where Paul in Romans 1, 2, 3 talks about total depravity, but that's just a springboard to start talking about God's grace in Christ, that when we believe the gospel, our sins are washed away and grace prevails in our lives, grace that wins us over, wins our hearts in a winsome way, so that we cannot but receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our complete Savior. And so that's critical uh, to, to understand that we are dealing realistically with man's plight through our deep fall in Adam, through our daily record of sin. We have a bad record. We have a bad heart by nature. We're dealing realistically with it, but not without hope, because God comes with his irresistible grace and showing us our need, then calls us to salvation, and we find salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. 
Now, you mentioned the way in which the progression of thought in Romans leads us from total depravity to irresistible grace, and those are intimately connected. Are there any other particular Bible passages that you would point um, listeners to, to to learn more or think more about irresistible grace? Because I think what what may catch some listeners up short is is the fact that it's the irresistible part. I mean, I, I think they want to acknowledge, yes, it's of course it's God's grace, but but irresistible grace um, is a peculiar notion to many people. So so what what passages would you point people towards in that regard? Well, I would certainly point them to Ephesians 2, the first uh, 10 verses, how when we were dead in our sins, uh, Christ came and quickened us and made us alive together with him. That sounds pretty irresistible to me. I would point them to some Old Testament texts like Psalm 110, that thy people are made willing in the day of thy power. And I would explain to them that irresistible never means that God comes and forces us violently like an assault to receive his son. But he sweetly allures us. It's irresistible in the sense that he holds out the Savior before us, shows us our sin, and we just cannot help but, as the old Puritan used to say, close with Christ and embrace him and believe in him because he's altogether, altogether lovely. Now, grace is also resistible in a common level. Uh, now, let me explain that. Um, the natural man who's not saved by the Holy Spirit of God working in his soul every day is resisting grace because God is declaring to him uh, his, his graciousness, particularly those who still go to church but are nominal Christians. They get to hear it from the pulpit, but they push it away. And so what they're doing is they're resisting God's overtures, his sincere overtures of grace. But when grace becomes irresistible, all that means is that God conquers our will so that we're made willing in the day of his power. One of the um, criticisms or questions I've heard raised about this doctrine, this biblical doctrine, is if if there is such a thing as irresistible grace, does this in some way make God responsible for that stubborn person who is hearing the gospel proclaimed in church that you just described um, and, and, and yet does not uh, trust in, in Christ? In, in other words, if, if it is God's work in making it so apparently beautiful and irresistible, uh, then, then how, how does that work with responsibility? Yes, good question. You know, you know we're, our very nature, because we are depraved, tends to be a, a blame-shifting nature. And we're always looking for ways to, to blame God, aren't we? Just, you know, it was there in paradise. The woman, you gave me, Lord. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. It's almost like it's a whimper at the end, and I did eat. Uh, God's number one fault. Uh, Eve was number two fault, and, and I, Adam, well, oh, yeah, I ate, you know. Instead of saying, Lord, I did a terrible sin. I knew that to eat from this tree would be an act of rebellion. I knew that I would be plunging all of my descendants into a state of death. I knew that it would be an act of absolute uh, disbelief in what you've been saying to me, that the day I eat thereof, I shall surely die. Um, it was a terrible sin. It wasn't just eating a piece of fruit. 
but we're so good at that. So we said, well, Lord, we can't help it. We, you know, we're responsible, but we're unable, so we can't help it. But see, the problem is this. Every human being in this world who resists God does so not just because we're unable. That's, that's true. But the deeper level is we're unwilling. We are rebels. We are willing rebels against God. And so when we talk about irresistible grace, the very word grace means, not as some people say, that it's unmerited favor. Well, it is that, but it's much more than that. It's not like we're neutral and we didn't earn it. And so God gives it to us because we're neutral. We've actually merited wrath. Grace is demerited favor. We've merited hell by nature. We deserve hell. We're sinners in the sight of a good God who's never treated us ill. And so we need to understand the thought is blasphemy that God could possibly be connected with sin in any way. We choose sin. We choose it bluntly. We choose it boldly. We choose it uh, rudely. We choose it rebelliously every single day. But the beauty of God's grace is that God comes and sweetly wins over our soul and uh, conquers us so that we see our sin and we see his beauty in Christ. And we cannot help but choose Christ then. We do it by the power of his grace. And after we make that choice, we look back and say, you know, I never would have, I never would have come to Christ if it weren't for the grace of God. This is all to be given to the praise and the glory of God. And then this doctrine of irresistible grace becomes just such a sweet, precious doctrine for us. It's inseparable from our entire salvation. Yeah, it's it struck me even when you were describing it there and the way you've connected it with total depravity, this uh, as much as perhaps any any part of our salvation, any aspect of our salvation is something that just should instantly lead us toward praise because we realize it's it's something that has nothing at all to do with who we are in and of ourselves, but it's 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 a work of God's God's grace to us. So what a what a precious precious doctrine to meditate on. Mm. I, I I wonder too. You 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 uh, have provided such a service to me personally in the past, and I know to many many others, in recommending really good Puritan and then and then modern day sources. I, I'm wondering, are there any particular Puritan med- meditations on these things that we've been discussing that you would recommend for our listeners today because it strikes me that uh, filling our minds with these with these great truths is is so valuable in gaining perspective yes well at at a fairly deep level christ our mediator by thomas goodwin would really open up the full christ centeredness of salvation and how god works it in the soul um, and John Owen also on the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul would be would be great on a on a simpler level. Um, I, and this is somewhat post Puritan. I I really love and I've given this to a lot of people and they really resonate with this book, the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul by Octavius Winslow, nineteenth mm. century writer. Yes, just so sweetly written, and he he just unveils 
every aspect of the spirit's work. And, you know, if you come from a background where you think that your own free will saved you and you've got part the credit and God's got part the credit, uh, it's difficult to to read material that really gives all the credit to God because you almost feel left out. <laughs> you almost feel left out of the picture, like you don't you don't deserve anything. And, but when you see that you don't deserve anything, salvation becomes a thousand times more beautiful. And Octavius Winslow, just as a way of unfolding that, how the Spirit calls us irresistibly, how He brings us to faith and repentance. Now. How he also works in us, together with us, our whole area of sanctification. Yes, of course, we become active, our wills become active, but the Spirit's role is always primary in that, because without the Holy Spirit, all our religion, all our Christianity would be a sham. And so to read a good book on the work of the Spirit in the soul can be revolutionary for, for Christians. Yeah, I, I would... I would want to underscore that to our listeners. That is such a great recommendation. I used to um, require that Winslow book for an introductory Holy Spirit course. This was probably eight or nine years ago. And repeatedly the students would come back to me who weren't predisposed, I think, to necessarily appreciate it and just say how valuable it had been. So I'm glad that you recommended that Winslow volume. Uh, Dr. Beeky, uh, thank you again so much for your time. You've been so generous with us, and uh, uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for your 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 writing and speaking on this topic and many other topics uh, about the Christian faith. And uh, and 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 thanks for the time today. Thank you so much. God bless you, brother. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is supported by donors like you. You can contribute on placefortruth.org or via alliancenet.org. If you come to placefortruth.org, we'd like to enter you for a free gift. It's a set of CDs entitled Children of God Adopted into the Father's Love from the 2011 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. And in this set is a message by Dr. Beakey entitled Like Father, Like Son. And I want to say thanks again for tuning into Theology on the Go a brief interview about an eternal truth.